Good morning, church. How's everyone doing this morning? Cold, warm in here, right? I hope. Can y'all hear me? Am I on? All right. Well, good. I'm glad you guys are here. Welcome. So glad to see you guys in worship. Welcome if you are tuning in online. So glad uh, that you have chosen to worship with us this morning as we continue uh, in this teaching series, knowing that the Holy Spirit sort of binds us together and in spirit, our hearts and minds across all of it. We're here together in this space, and I'm glad you're joining us. Um, before I forget, I want to go ahead and release our kids for Revolution Kids. Miss Debbie's there waiting at the steps. All right. Sadie, almost. A few more years. You'll be able to do it. You'll be able. All right, well, we're continuing uh, this morning in our teaching series uh, in this season of Lent called Vice. That's where we are exploring each of the seven deadly sins, also known as the seven vices, uh, sort of as a way to move us closer and closer to God and his love and his grace, his will for our lives. So the definition of vice, which I don't think I've shared with you all yet, an immoral or wicked behavior I think of those sins that are easily identified, especially in other people, right? These are easily identifiable, uh, but also a moral failing or a bad habit, character traits that are obstacles to living well, not so easily identified. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's those traits, those flaws, those bad habits, what we say in CR, those character defects that can sometimes easily cling and trip us up. These habits that that lead to sort of sinful behaviors and, and patterns, they can keep us from running our race, from living the life that God intended for us and and for for living it well. I think of these, the vices, as sort of the sneakier sins, the ones that we don't always see coming or they're not on our radar, they're not so easily identified unless we take time and create space for self-reflection, examination, prayer, confession, All of these wonderful things that the season of Lent gives to us. Time and space to do some examination. So each week of this series, we're taking a look at one of the seven, or two, one week we'll look at two. uh, One of the seven vices, how it manifests in our modern world today. And we end each week with questions for reflection and your own examination. Sort of ending, this is maybe our guiding prayer throughout the whole thing that I commend to you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. My hope is that that prayer becomes sort of your beginning and your end for self-examination every day, every week, as often as you do it. Just want to pause for a moment and let you know of some resources that are out there. If you are in a house group, you guys are moving through some of this conversation about self-examination each week. But if you're not, you're also welcome to take a look at the curriculum. It it can work well for your own personal study as well. 
Um, there's also guides that Debbie actually, uh, Debbie's group uh, clued me in on uh, of some questions based on each of the vices. But each week we also post sort of a curriculum that's on our website under the media folder for this series. It's also on our app. I encourage you to take some time. In response to each vice we think about on a Sunday morning, take that time. There are questions and resources available for you. Okay, so last week uh, we started with the first vice of pride, or more accurately, vainglory. Super fun, vainglory. Uh, discovered that pride is really at the root of all other sin. Uh, and so today we are going to turn to anger. All right, and I have anger. You, you can't leave. You're here. You're not allowed to get up and leave now. I mean, if you take a look at the seven, this is going to be fun. And that's why I'm not telling you which one we're going to talk about each week, because then you might decide based on Mike is leaving. I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's like, bye. All right, I'm wondering, though, um, have any of you all ever seen the movie Inside Out? 2015 Pixar movie. Oh, it's so good. One of my favorites. It's a wonderful movie about this 13-year-old girl named Riley. Her family unexpectedly moves from Minnesota to San Francisco because her, her dad got a new job. And it's all about how she adjusts to those changes with her friends and family, with her school, especially with her favorite sport, hockey. It's really sort of a coming-of-age coming story about the emotional development of children, learning how to sort of regulate emotions through the turmoil and changes of life. Uh, but it's also, I think, a great message for how we relate to one another. It's told, the, the story, if you haven't seen it, it, it's told through the perspective of her sort of emotional center, her core emotions of joy and fear, anger, disgust, and sadness. So these are Riley's emotions, and the story is sort of told uh, through their perspective. There's a clip I'm going to share with you now um, that is just gold. I love it. Um, it's joy for Riley, who's usually at the control center, if it, you know, as it were. Um, but in this scene, joy and sadness have left headquarters, <laughs> and it's up to the other three to figure out how Riley's going to respond in this situation. So let's take a look. Why is she acting so weird? What do you expect? All the islands are down. Joy would know what to do. That's it. Until she gets back, we just do what Joy would do. Great idea. Anger, fear, disgust. How are we supposed to be happy? Hey, Riley, I've got good news. I found a junior hockey league right here in San Francisco, and get this, tryouts are tomorrow after school. What luck, right? Hockey. Uh-oh. What do we do? Guys, uh, this, this, uh, here, you, you pretend to be Joy. Wouldn't it be great to be back out on the ice? Oh, yeah. That sounds fantastic. What was that? That wasn't anything like Joy. Uh, because I'm not Joy? Yeah, no kidding. Did you guys pick up on that? Uh-huh. Sure. Oh, did. Something's wrong. Should we ask her? Let's probe, but keep it subtle so she doesn't notice. So, how was the first day of school? She's probing us. I'm done. You pretend to be Joy. What? Okay. Um, hmm. It was fine, I guess. I don't know. Oh, very smooth. That was just like Joy. Something is definitely going on. She's never acted like this before. What should we do? We're going to find out what's happening, but we'll need support. Signal the husband. Ahem. Ah! 
Uh-oh, she's looking at us. Uh, what did she say? What? Oh, oh, sorry, sir. No one was listening. Is it garbage night? Uh, we left the toilet seat up. What? What is it, woman? What? <sighs> He's making that stupid face again. I could strangle him right now. Signal him again. Ah, so, Riley, how was school? Riley, oh, are you kidding me? For this, we gave up that Brazilian helicopter pilot? Boo, I'll be joy. School was great, all right? Riley, is everything okay? <sighs> Sir, she just rolled her eyes at us. What is her deal? All right, make a show of force. I don't want to have to put the foot down. No, not the foot. Riley, I do not like this new attitude. Oh, I'll show you attitude. Okay. No, 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 stay happy! What is your problem? Just leave me alone. Sir, reporting high levels of sass. Take it to DEFCON 2. You heard that, gentlemen? DEFCON 2. Listen, young lady, I don't know where this disrespectful attitude came from. You want a piece of this, Pops? Come and get it! Yeah, well, well... Here it comes. Prepare the foot. Keys to safety position. Ready to launch on your command, sir. That's it. Go to your room. Now. The foot is down. The foot is down. Good job, gentlemen. That could have been a disaster. Well, that was a disaster. Okay, so I under... There's so much to unpack there, and we're not going to fully... It's a great movie. I encourage you to take a look. Um... And I just so I know that not all father figures are sort of emotionally not present in given moments, but for the sake of comedy, you know that one that's that's pretty good of how our anger and emotions are at work in each different life stage, right? Um, did you did you notice that the dad's uh, control center was actually anger, and the mom's was actually sadness, right? But they had the other ones that they were in consultation with, right? The sort of like a healthy emotional balance, whereas Riley is still figuring all that out, right? Two of them are not present at all. Anyways, it's, it's a really good movie. So when we think of anger, though, I think we often think of this picture. <laughs> we, anger taking over at the control center, I'll show you, you know, I'll show you attitude, right? Um, you, we think of it as someone who's hot-headed, hot temper, a short fuse, losing their cool, flying off the handle. We probably know someone in our lives who struggles with anger or who has a short fuse. Maybe it's even us, right? As, on a whole, it sort of feels like our culture has grown angrier. Have you all noticed this? Like, it's all just a little bit more on edge. We've all grown a little bit angry or maybe more prone to angry outbursts that we see on Twitter, on the road, in airplanes, <laughs> at airports. All just a little bit more on edge. Our, our culture, especially in our American context, we seem just a little angrier. Like we all have this guy at the control center. So the first question I wanted to ask us this morning is, is it ever okay for Christians to be angry? I'm like, what? Yeah. Is it ever okay for Christians to be angry? Riley's like, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, so scripture actually has a lot to say about this. 
and, and sort of as you look through church tradition and history, there were some differing opinions uh, about the proper place of anger in our lives. Psalm 37 says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Proverbs 14, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15, a hot-tempered man or person stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Jesus says in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. Ephesians 4, Paul says, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's actually, if you uh, are a saint in the fourth century, Saint John Cassian, who's a monk and, and theologian, talking about the monastic life, uh, he wrote on um, sort of the place of anger, and he made the case that all anger causes blindness by obscuring our ability to see Christ. He says the emotion of anger blinds the eyes of the soul and prevents us from seeing the sun of righteousness. It may boil over and bind the eyes of our heart. Are you blind? That's probably supposed to say blind the eyes of our heart. He says, therefore, anger is a fundamental issue in the spiritual life. He's the one that sort of makes a case that, like, no anger is good, that everyday anger is an issue in the spiritual life. But in continuing in our look at Scripture, didn't we see Jesus get angry? Yeah. Two notable places that we are familiar, first, that we're most familiar with is when Jesus, it's in all four accounts of the gospel, when he enters the temple and he turns over tables. Right? He's clearly acting in a moment of anger in response, not just to the fact that people are selling things within the temple. This is, I think, kind of a, a misconception here. You know, people would travel from all over to Jerusalem to, to offer sacrifices to worship there in the temple. This was an important part of their worship life together. They needed, you know, sort of things to make sacrifice. So things were sold for people, you know, people that would travel in to worship. So the issue was not that there was exchange of money happening at all. It was the fact that there was corruption, sort of commentators, and, and were led to believe that there was exploitation happening. People were being taken advantage of who were traveling in, had nowhere else to sort of purchase these goods, and they were turning a profit or, or exploiting for their own gain. Corruption in the house of the Lord. Sort of Matthew, Mark, and Luke say, you've turned my, the house of the Lord into a den of robbers. And John, Jesus says, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So Jesus was turning things over because, not just because they were selling things, but because there was corruption. Jesus saw an injustice happening. 
consumed or motivated by, by zeal, by passion, the disciples note, and anger over this clear injustice right in the center of the place of worship. Another notable place is in Mark chapter 3. I'm going to read this for us. This is Jesus. He entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Talking to the religious leaders and asking this question, and he's angry. He's angry at them because Jesus loves the man with this shriveled hand, the, the man who seeks to be healed. He, and he sees that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the, the teachers failed to do so. Jesus is deeply frustrated, and it says, grieved at their hardness of heart toward another brother in need. It says he was angry. Um, Rebecca DeYoung, in her book on the vices, says their prideful observance of the letter of the law and their sense of due has precious little to do with the justice toward God or love of neighbor. They refuse to recognize the image of God and the man right in front of them. And they want Jesus to get off their turf and out of their way. Jesus is angry because teachers of the law have failed to see the needs of the neighbor right in front of them. Remember a couple weeks ago the teaching on every person created in the image of God, a person of worth, and, and therefore owed our baseline amount of respect. They're missing it right here. And Jesus cares for and loves this man with the withered hand. So asking again, is it okay for Christians to be angry? We've already said yes. Clearly, after the example of Christ, but when and how? Those are the important questions for us. When is it okay for us to be angry? Anger, of course, is a strong feeling of annoyance, of displeasure or hostility. It's felt in response to a perceived wrong or injustice to ourselves or to others. We think we've been wronged, we see a clear issue, and we respond in anger. Thomas Aquinas claims that anger's rightful target is injustice. That is, anger registers that someone has been wrong, wronged and responds with the desire to right the wrong. Anger rightly expresses the thought, this is not the way it's supposed to be, and someone ought to do something to set it right. This is not the way it's supposed to be, and something ought to be done to set it right. In this way, anger can sort of motivate us to action, right? To, to respond, to speak up, to say true things, to work for justice in the world, to right wrongs. It can be a great motivator. There's a lot of energy there, especially to work toward healing and reconciliation, and this is for sure the example that we see in Jesus. 
responding to clear injustice. We would call this righteous anger. Righteous anger. Responding to corruption being done in the temple, to, uh, to you know, overlooking the needs and love of the neighbor. This is the anger we also saw in Martin Luther King Jr. and every other leader in the civil rights movement who was speaking up and responding to the perceived inequity and inequality in our world, in our context. Maybe this is what we call righteous anger. But notice, anger requires language of ought and should and owe. Something is owed you or, or a, a wrong needs to be made right. So I want us to pause here and notice how easily anger can be corrupted by pride. It's based on what we perceive as wrong done to us or to someone else. Therefore, it can easily become about making it all about what we want and what we think we need, our own self-interests, our own self-preservation. I think this may be what St. Cassian was saying when he said that anger blinds us to sort of tunnel vision, to see only the wrong against us that needs to be avenged and not the needs of our neighbor through Christ. So the truth is that you, we all already know here is that anger is a natural expression of human emotion. It's how we were created. It's how we were hardwired. You see, you know, in our clip, we saw anger and sadness and joy and disgust and fear. It's part of who we are. Jesus felt every human emotion, including anger, and yet did not sin. Even Jesus was angry. What we are interested in then is how to manage and express our anger in healthy ways so that it doesn't take over our control center, so that it doesn't become sinful habits and patterns, so that we don't lash out and name call and turn to violence, which ultimately causes harm, of course, in our relationships and lives. So the vice, more accurately, I think what we're going for here is instead of just anger, because anger in and of itself is not sin, it's a natural, normal human emotion, but it's wrath. The vice is wrath, which is strong, vengeful anger or indignation. It's consumed with vengeance, even hostility and hatred. When our anger becomes corrupted by pride, we take matters into our own hands, and it becomes wrath. Sort of a, we, this is pretty obvious, but you can see sort of here the difference between wrath and anger. Wrath is extreme, takes it up a notch. It involves hostility and vengeance. It's unhealthy. It usually, always, leads to violent actions leading to massive destruction. Anger in and of itself is not bad or sinful, but it's how we express it, even maybe what we get angry about and the unhealthy patterns that can evolve. It's in my positive uh, parenting books, that I, these mantras that I repeat to myself over and over again. You okay the emotion, not the behavior. Okay the emotion, not the behavior. Okay, three-and-a-half-year-old son, it is okay that you're angry right now. I see that you're angry. 
because I turned off Paw Patrol, whatever. You know, I see that you are infuriated. Man, there's so much emotion that can come out of those sweet little creations. <laughs> it is not okay to hit your brother. <laughs> it is not okay to yell at mommy. <laughs> Sorry, cool, calm parenting so that I don't take over, you know, anger in my control center, right? Here comes the foot. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Signal the husband. <laughs> Signal the husband. <laughs> okay, the emotion, not the behavior. So I think our guide here, of course, is Jesus. These instances of righteous anger, of holy emotion, when we can respond and work for the good and but not, maybe not alone in our own prideful sense, but together as, as a community. But what, I'm, what I fear is that we probably think that we have righteous anger more than we do. And so practices of self-examination and asking some of this, these questions uh, can help us determine sort of the difference between um, justice and justification, <laughs> Right, like justifying ourselves and our actions and knowing that we're right and doubling down and thinking we are working for the good. When really sometimes, like we said a few weeks ago, we speak the truth, but if we don't have love, how we've missed the mark. We've missed it. We've been consumed with pride. (laughs) So some of these questions, I think, and maybe some of the uh, examples that come up on a day-to-day basis can help us differentiate between good, holy emotion, working for justice, and really, honestly, the more common instances of anger that leads to wrath and justification and vengeance. Lord, help us, even vengeance. So our guide would be Christ in Ephesians 4. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry, but do not sin. Okay, so there are two questions that I'm going to leave you with today that I'm going to offer for you uh, to do some reflection now, but also in the days to come as we sort of uh, try to evaluate if our anger is is a good anger (laughs) or if it's actually leading to these habits of sin that need to be identified, that need to be confessed, that kind of prone to sin, that we're bent towards sinning sometimes, sometimes with our anger, that I think more often than not, we could actually use the word wrath. All right, so the first question is, what am I angry about? Just simply put, what am I angry about? In the house group curriculum today, and so I challenge all of you to do this, it's to simply keep a journal, a daily journal or weekly journal of the things that make you angry. <laughs> write them down, and then go back and review them. And you can ask yourself some questions of like, okay, when was that uh, some righteous anger? (laughs) When was that uh, serving a good? Or when was it just serving myself and my own emotion in the moment? What did it accomplish? And so some of those related questions that I think can help us answer, what am I angry about? Why am I angry? What is the target of my anger? Is my anger self-seeking, or or does it serve another? Am I seeking a selfish end of vengeance to harm someone else, of being celebrated because I'm right and they're wrong? Am I seeking recognition? Am I seeking, or am I trying 
to restore a sense of shalom and peace and wholeness? A good answer of good anger must fight for a good cause, right, of that justice and reconciliation of peace. Wrath, of course, is seeking our own selfish end. When anger becomes wrath, the goods it defends are my agenda, my control, my dignity, my cherished reputation, and my high expectations. We can kind of get in defense mode, justification mode. Any threat to these things, any threat to our sense of control and agenda and and reputation makes us angry, makes us angry. So ask yourself, what am I angry about and why? Rebecca DeYoung says this, wrathful people's overprotectiveness about what they are owed signals wrath's roots in pride, the mother of all sins, right? So if you find that you're overprotective about something or really super angry about one thing in particular, about what you're owed or what you deserve in this world or from this world, sometimes that can signal wrath's roots in our own human pride. So that's your first question for self-reflection. What am I angry about? And then the second one, am I expressing my anger in healthy ways? It's an emotion that we all face on any given, ba- on any given day. So I'm trying to teach my three-year-old some coping mechanisms, not just coping, but processing, handling his, his big emotions. He feels everything on high. <laughs> the really big emotions from joy to anger, disappointment, Okay, the emotion, not the behavior. Am I expressing my anger in healthy ways so that it doesn't become out of control, enraged, so I don't become furious? Because this is, this is when it impacts everyone around us. Oftentimes, ourselves and our loved ones, more than even the person we're angry with. Have you noticed that? Wrath is all-consuming. We get so worked up and angry it actually impacts our own spirits and the people around us that we love most more than the folks that we're even angry with. So a couple of questions that go with this are based on Aquinas, who says the disordered expression of anger can lead to wrath, and here are his three questions. Am I getting angry too easily? Am I getting angrier than I should? Am I staying angry too long? Am I getting angry too easily? That takes the form of irritability, right? You're sort of always on edge. Little things, can, you can fly off the handle. It's also misdirected anger. I might be stressed and upset about something else, but Matt says one thing and pff, irritated. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> it's misdirected. It aims at whoever's closest, It's a tendency to be quick to anger, quick to anger. Anger poisons our mood. Everything sets us off. We become quarrelsome, contrary. Others become uncooperative, inconvenient. We respond with with bickering and, and rudeness, complaint, annoyance. This is the part that really hit me. Rebecca DeYoung says, if you are a busy person living without rest or margins in your life, or if you have a foul mouth or a tendency to complain, watch out for this form of wrath in your life. The first one, irritability. 
If you don't have a lot of margin in your life, if you're under a considerably amount, like a considerable amount of stress, if you're prone to complain, watch out for this first form of wrath, getting angry too easily. The second one, of course, is the blow-up scene, right? Getting angrier than I should, the little things that set us off, the shouting, the door slamming, emotions explode, maybe even turn to violence. It's excessive emotion that does not match the offense. They're related, of course. We're getting angrier than we should about one particular thing. We need to ask ourselves, why? Why am I feeling this way? What is at the root of this? And then the last one uh, takes the form of resentment. Am I staying angry too long? Holding on to resentment. Holding on to wrongs committed in the past. This sometimes looks like in our lives, refusal to forgive, daydreaming about vengeance, about harm coming to the person who wronged you. We may even employ passive-aggressive tactics. <laughs> we may hold grudges and resentment over time, and here's where we have the danger of rationalization, sort of that self-justification. I know I was right. I know I was the one that was wrong, wronged. I don't care what comes of them. It's a slippery slope of rationalizing, maybe even actions or words that we take against another because of our wrath in the form of, am I staying angry too long? Am I staying angry too long? Okay, we're done, I'm sorry. <laughs> Woo! The truth is, wrath is all-consuming. Wrath is all-consuming. And this one hit me a little bit, because I'm like, I don't, like, explode or have tantrums or outbursts. But some of these, when it comes to irritability or not letting go of mistakes in the past, the truth is that it ends up impacting our own spirits and the relationships around us more than we think. And the truth is, more often than not, the things that make us angry on a day-to-day -day basis have little to do with the good anger, the righteous anger, and a lot more to do with the sneaky sin and vice of wrath. It's going to end with this quote. This is Frederick Buchner. He says, of the seven deadly sins, wrath is possibly the most fun. <laughs> to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past. That's me. To roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come. To savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Right? I read that and I was like, we gotta, yeah. We gotta be careful, right? The vice, the habits, the hangups, the patterns. Doing some of this work of self-reflection and examination may help you see where am I gonna work for good in the world and be inspired and motivated by the example of Christ? And where do I need some help? Where do I need to identify the wrath in my life that's wearing me out more than it should, right? It's true that we cannot solve the problem of anger in one teaching. <laughs> the intent of this series is to help us identify 
Because if we don't know these little things that cling and, and hold us back or trip us up, they can't be confessed. They can't be worked on. So I'm hoping to not leave us in just a simp- like sense of hopelessness at the end of each teaching to go, oh, there's no solution. Here's Raph. The solution is Easter. It's coming, right? My intent in this series is to help just identify so that we can, we can know where the work must begin. To do some of this work of identifying, raising awareness of where we might struggle so that we can confess it, so that we can surrender. Surrender to God, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Surrender to your plans are not always my plans. (laughs) My ways and thoughts of what's right are not always the ways of the Lord. And so there's a place here for, for a step of faith to let go of some of this anger that turns to wrath because we can't control most of our lives and we must trust in the God who knows tomorrow. It's to identify, to confess, to surrender to God. And also, hopefully, maybe it leads us to seek help. If you do this and and you find that you are prone to habits of of anger, you don't want to be this angry person that you see in the mirror, we're here for that. We're here to help. We're going through that in house groups. Daryl and I are here to talk with you for pastoral counseling. We have every Wednesday night Celebrate Recovery right here in this space where we talk about our hurts, our hang-ups, our habits. This isn't something that can be fixed in one teaching, something that we work on with the help of God over time, working it out with grace and community and support. I know Micah would love to see you here on a Wednesday night. You know, because for each vice, there is actually a virtue. What CR calls those character defects, there are replacement behaviors to our pride and to our vainglory, to our anger and to our wrath. There's humility, and there's care for others. There's calm. There's, there's grace. And we have a community here that's here to walk us through this journey so that we can become more and more like Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for who you are and for how you are at work in our lives. And we thank you for the example of Christ. That when often when we look in the mirror and when we look at Christ, we see first our shortcomings. We see first the ways that we trip up or our flaws. But God, we give you thanks that your word of grace also flows out this morning as well. And that you actually give us the grace and the power we need to make changes in our lives, to heal, to grow, to surrender and let go of some of the anger and wrath that we hold on to that just consumes us. So God, we come to meet you here in this space. Would you be with us today and in the days to come as we take a a deep look at ourselves? And would we not be so consumed by self-hate or self-loathing that we would forget that you love us, that you have 
created us. That you knew us even before we knew you. And that you love us so much that you call us into this life of, of freedom from our sin. May we know that truth this morning as we prepare our hearts to approach your table.